everyone. We hope you all enjoyed a wonderful holiday. Welcome to Coffee with the Queen, episode four. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. And today we're discussing coffee roasting, specifically the difference between coffee roast blends and the importance of roast date. And for our fun bit, Cindy's going to share her tips on how to use peppermint flavoring, essence, or candy in your coffee. After listening, if there's any topic that you've heard today you're interested in learning more about, please visit our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, or our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. We'll have links on both sites to articles that discuss what we've covered today, in addition to anything we find might be interesting to you, a supplemental reading. And that brings us to roast. So after bean variety and quality, a coffee's roast is the most impactful aspect of its taste. And in some cases, such as with dark roast coffees, the roast profile actually overpowers the bean's natural taste characteristics. While the specifics of roasting can get really technical, Today, we will discuss the most common coffee roasts by their roast category, light, medium, or dark. To really understand coffee roasts, we need to start with a brief overview of beans and what happens to a bean during roasting. So all coffee beans are by nature single origin, and each single origin has a unique profile. Actually, each micro lot has a unique profile that determines the bean's texture, mouthfeel, acidity, and flavor. During roasting, these profile characteristics will either be enhanced to accentuate the bean's characteristics that the roaster finds most appealing or minimize to diminish those that the roaster finds less appealing. And so that brings us to roasting. At its most basic technical level, roasting is the process of removing moisture from a bean until you achieve a desired balance of sugars, acids, and carbonization. So as beans roast, they darken, drop water weight, expand, and generate CO2. So if you were holding, if you, or if you saw green beans, next to those same beans that are lightly roasted, same beans that are medium roasted, and same beans that are dark roasted, you'd see a big difference in size. The green beans, which are going to be very dense and packed with water, be small and tight. So you move up the roast categories and you get to the dark roast, the beans will be inflated and large and shiny and dark brown. That's our Roasting 101 overview. We do have more detailed blog entry on roasting if you're interested in learning more about the specifics of roasting. There are three primary stages of coffee roasting, and each stage is defined by where the bean falls in relation to two cracks. So our very first stage is when we have green beans that are just entering the roaster, beginning to heat up. These beans will start to emit, in a few minutes of roasting, a grassy, earthy odor that does not smell anything like coffee that, or something that you or I would identify with as coffee. The beans will start turning from green to yellow and then to a shade of very pale brown. Once the beans reach this pale brown shade, they're considered a light roast. So light roasted beans really preserve the beans' natural complexity and taste components, making them the most authentic representation of the beans' natural characteristics and the preferred shade of most professional cuppers. Easily identifiable by their light brown shade, light roasts tend to be lighter bodied coffees with really high, beautiful acidity. Is there a crack before the light roast? No. The first crack identifies that you've entered medium roast territory. So there's a little bonus here. Light roasts are primarily going to be, in my experience, probably African coffees or coffees labeled breakfast blend. And part of the reason for this, in addition to being a light roast and having those light mouthfeel and those bright acidic notes, is the fact that they have more caffeine. So it's just a little bonus fact here. If you had the same bean roasted to a light roast, a medium roast, and a dark roast, those light roasted beans are going to have more caffeine than the dark roasted beans as caffeine is burned off during the roast process. And that's an amazing point because many people think that a dark roasted coffee has more caffeine. 
They do. And that's one of the things Cindy and I have spoken to people many times over the years and tried to explain that because they're like, I really want that caffeine packed Italian roast. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) you'll get caffeine from the Italian roast, but not if you really want something that's going to perk you up in the morning, look for a lighter roast. Exactly. Soon after the beans hit that light roast pale brown shade, they'll emit a very loud crack. And this is called the first crack. It's a very loud noise that sounds like an entire bag of popcorn popping simultaneously. Once you hear that first crack, you know you're now into medium roast territory. Medium roasts tend to have moderate to high acidity and moderate to heavy mouthfeel without being very dense. So as with light roast, the medium roasts do preserve the bean's natural dominant flavors. But as the roast moves up the scale from a medium roast to a full city roast, which would be the darkest of the medium roast, you will begin to see some slight changes in the delicate upper notes of the bean as they start to become overshadowed by the roast profile. Looking at beans visually, if you want to get a sense of where your beans are in that medium roast scale, medium roasted beans that are stopped right after the first crack are slightly darker than light roast and they'll have no oil on them. They'll be completely oil-free. Once you get up to a full city roasted bean, on the other hand, the beans will be a slightly darker shade of brown. So when we talk about medium roast, we aren't talking about a great variation in the shade of brown, but you'll see a slightly darker shade of brown on the bean. And you'll also begin to see the bean express a very slight oil sheen. Once you start to see that oil sheen, you know that you're beginning to venture into dark roast territory or you're right at the end of medium roast territory. So after that oily sheen appears, you should hear a second loud crack and that will bring you into dark roast territory. I like how we're talking about this territory. It's like field of navigation. It's like the geography of coffee. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I feel like we should have a map to map this out. Dark roasts generally have lower acidity and a heavier, denser mouthfeel than your medium roast or your light roast. So unlike medium and light roasts, which really play and try to accentuate the bean's natural characteristics, when you're roasting for a dark roast, you're really highlighting the bean's textural qualities and muting those native flavor characteristics so that you can match a roast profile. That said, there are many beans, particularly Sumatrans, that have strong, deep base qualities that can still shine through even when roasted to a specific dark roast profile. Most often when you see a dark roast bean, probably with the exception of a Sumatra or those roasted to a Vienna shade, you will hear the bean referred to by its roast shade, most common being Vienna roast, French roast, an Italian roast, or espresso. A Vienna roast, and actually an espresso isn't a roast shade, it's a dark roast, often a French roast, but people think of it as a particular shade sometimes. Yeah, Um, actually, people are confused about what exactly an espresso is, but I guess we'll talk about that more when we talk about blends. Yes. So a Vienna roast, which is the lightest dark roast, is roasted to a dark brown shade and will have a very slight, faint oil sheen. The French roast, which is the medium dark roast, is going to be a very dark brown shade, almost nearly black, and will have a fine luminescent oil coating. It's a really pretty bean. And then the Italian roast, which is the darkest of the dark roasts, is roasted nom, to nom, the nom. Yeah, the roasted to the beans are almost black and have a r- rich oil coating. And each of these dark roast shades really do have their own taste profile and characteristics. So Italian roasts tend to be verging on bitter and spicy. So Cindy loves that for me. Italian roasts a little too much. French roasts, which is uh, most espressos are roasted to somewhere between a Vienna and a French roast, tend to be smoother, but they still have some of those sweeter upper notes come through. Any coffee can be roasted to any shade. However, while most roasters will roast 
particular regional beans or single origin beans to a roast category just because we really want to be able to highlight what, what those beans are known for. So like a Kenyan is bright and whiny and has floral aromatics. We would lose that if we went too much into the dark roast territories. You know, generally you'll find even across roasters, certain beans roasted to a similar shade regardless of where you go. However, we do love to play with beans. And what we really love doing as roasters is combining beans with startlingly different complementary or even sometimes contrasting characteristics to create something that does not exist in nature. So, you know, we would take a, a coffee with a really rich, heavy, deep base note and then put it with a coffee with really bright upper notes. And it's, it's almost like um, if you want to think about like being a chef and putting together flour, sugar, butter and cake, you're using different ingredients that alone you wouldn't say these go together. But when you find the right combination of the right mix, it can really be a work of art. To us, that's really the art of coffee blends. It sounds to me like the roast is an extremely important element to how the coffee is going to taste once it's brewed. It really is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you could put together different coffees for many different reasons because of the, uh, the base elements of the coffees that you want to bring out. Or if you're roasting to a specific blend, such as like, a, you know, our Mills blend or a French roast or an espresso, you might use different coffees. Single origin coffees will change. You know, it's like fruit that's grown in a field. In agriculture, you have high quality farms and coffee, but there's no guarantee that every year or every crop will taste the same because, you know, temperature, water, um, the amount of sun, everything will impact the flavor of a bean. So we look at it from both ways. If we're trying to achieve a particular blend, we might be using different coffees each time that basically we can manipulate to fit our blend. If we're creating just a new blend and experimenting, we'll really look at the different coffees to try to play with those coffees and see what is going to be unique, satisfying, just delicious and unreplicable in a natural world. That makes sense. It does. It does. Like many arts, roasting is a balance between <laughs> the natural flavors of the bean and what it's going to taste like once you're done roasting which of course will be revealed once the coffee is brewed. Yep, correct. That, that, that's absolutely true. So depending on the roast um, color that you select and, and the duration. So when we look at our roast, personally, we actually do it down to the second for how long, you know, when we're trying to, we're experimenting, trying to find the right roast for a particular coffee so we can really bring out what we feel is the best in the coffee and the most balanced, well, really the best, because sometimes we do play the balance a little. If, if something has a really wonderful upper note, we'll, we'll play to that. Or if it has a really incredible base note, we'll play to that. We're trying to find harmony, I guess, between the roast and the, the bean. I have a, one more question that's roast specific. And you were talking about acidity earlier and how the acidity is burned off during the roasting process. Light roasts are more acidic than medium roasts and dark roasts are generally the least acidic. But isn't acidity also a product of the origin of the coffee bean? based on soil and region? Yes. yes, so it's a dual factor. Typically you'll find that acidity is prized for those of you aren't familiar with the term acidity. It's this nice, crisp, clean feeling in your mouth. I would say for people who don't really taste flavors in coffee, it's gonna be this crisp, clean feeling at the close of a coffee, so no aftertaste. Acidity is generally prized in coffee. So coffees that have naturally beautifully bright acidity, like a Kenyan, I'm just gonna use it because one of the brightest coffees, incredibly rare to roast that on its own as a single origin to a dark roast because you would lose most of that beautiful acidity. But something like a Sumatran, really low acid coffee, even if you roasted it to a light roast, you're probably not going to get a hit of acidity. So acidity will be burned off, but acidity is 
And roasted coffee is, is a combination of both the, the bean's natural qualities and, and natural acidity and how long it was in the roaster. So blends. Blends are truly the roaster's art. Over the past decade, there's been this great push to celebrate single origin coffees, which is very much deserved and, and earned by those incredible growers. But as we've been pushing single origins, I feel like unconsciously there's been this message people are getting that blends are somehow not quite as special or not quite as exclusive as their single origin peers. And in my opinion, this is one of the coffee drinking population's greatest follies. Understanding a bean's qualities and roast habits and being able to combine extremely different beans with different qualities and different characteristics into a harmonious blend is truly an art. I like to think of it as our roasters as being like master chefs. They're really optimizing their ingredients and their elements to create a unique, superb coffee that's just absolutely spectacular. And I think if we look across the board, many of you would probably agree with me. So some of the world's most beloved coffees are actually blends. So espresso is 99% of the time a blend. You can make an espresso out of a single origin, but most often it's a blend, French roast and Italian roast. So in addition to being a real work of art, blends have the added benefit of being remarkably consistent, which is what I think you were speaking to earlier, Cindy. So unlike single origin coffees, which are typically harvested in small limited batches, blends are created using a combination of what we would call staples, such as Brazilians, Kenyans, Sumatrans, widely available coffees with really distinct regional characteristics. So in terms of composition, blends typically contain between two and five coffees can be planted either pre-roast or post-roast. So if blends are pre-roasted, all the beans will be approximately the same shade, a brown, and if blends are post-roasted, each single origin bean will be a slightly different shade. It's really pretty if you look at it. Our Seattle Express is a post-roast blend and I love to just look at it. If you're not familiar with blends or have been hesitant to try them, really encourage you to go and give them a taste. Personally, while I love a delicious single origin, my two primary go-to coffees are blends. For me, a single origin is like a great piece of fruit and a blend is like my favorite dessert. My go-to is an Italian roast, as we talked about earlier, but I love most dark roasted blends, and I feel like I can get nuances from the blends that I don't necessarily pick out from a single origin, even though the single origins highlight the intrinsic notes of the bean. I don't know if that makes sense. I think that that's part of the reason we love blends is because Sometimes you need to almost taste that contrast. I think one of your favorite Midnight Rebels is actually yeah. a five-bean blend. And so there's actually a lot of contrasting flavors in there. So we have Sumatran, we have Colombian, we have Kenyan, things that have remarkably different qualities. But the way, you know, what we do as a roaster is you know, we're not trying to bring out the full Kenyan. We're trying to bring out what we need from the Kenyan, which would be that little touch of brightness and elegance. And then, you know, we want the spiciness from the Sumatran. And so blends allow you to do that where... And a single origin coffee, you really can't without almost destroying the character of the bean. Yeah, I mean, maybe sense? it's because I myself as a human, I am a bit of an oleo, a spicy stew, if you will. So maybe that's why I prefer my coffee to reflect my personality. <laughs> you need five, five little spirits in there, all working, all working to create Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nicole, can you talk a little bit more about espresso blends? I find them really interesting because they need to stand up alone when people take their shot of espresso, but they also need to perform really well if you add milk, like a cappuccino. Are there any general characteristics from a typical espresso? Like, are there typical regions that they usually come from? No. So, I mean, we have our particular roast for an espresso and our particular blend, but if you went from roaster to roaster, even within the same city, across the country, you 
unlikely to find that we're using the same things. I would say most roasters that I've met will use at least one South American and one African in their espresso because you want your espresso to have a little bit of a light lift at the end, but there is no hard and fast rule and there's no standard combination or, or one coffee that everyone's going to put in their espresso. A lot of people actually end up putting Robusta in their espresso to give it a bit of a jolt. I know in Europe, it's more common for espressos to be roasted to a slightly lighter shade, so almost to a Vienna shade, where we most ours to a Vienna French roast shade. Surprisingly, there is not much standardization. That's really interesting. You might love an espresso in one place and really just hate it in another restaurant or another cafe. And it, it could be the, the bean combinations you're using. It could be the roast. It could be a number of factors. So espresso is really an example of how a blend is the roaster's art. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, I want ice cream. We all know what ice cream is, but there's a million ways to make it. You can use a lot of different ingredients to go into your ice cream and the taste will be very different. I know I'm making a lot of sweet food analogies. I think it's probably the Christmas season. But yeah, espresso is really a, kind of like the wild west of coffee. So now you have your freshly roasted beans or, or blends, and that brings us to the next great roast question, which is how long are those freshly roasted beans going to stay fresh? And the answer, anywhere from two weeks to six months, depending on a number of factors, including the decassing process, packaging, and storage. So during the roasting process, we previously mentioned, coffee beans develop CO2, and that CO2 must be released, or what we say in the coffee roasting world, degassed before the beans are drinkable. Numerous factors, including temperature, humidity, storage, and roast impact the degassing speed. Coffee that has not degassed enough prior to brewing will taste sour and ripe. My best equivalent is for any of you who have ever had wheatgrass, you know that wheatgrass can taste sweet and nice. Or if you get young wheatgrass, it tastes like you're kind of drinking dirt with a little bit of grass mixed in there. And so to me, drinking coffee that has not gone through a long enough degassing process is a little bit like drinking young grass. It's pretty gross. Coffee on the other side that has been degassed past its optimal point will begin to suffer from oxidization and stale. So a roaster's challenge is really to identify and preserve beans at their optimal degas state. So each roaster is going to have their own process for degassing, and it's essential to either trust your roaster or to know how your roaster degasses their beans to determine the bean's longevity. So if you go to a roaster where they just leave beans exposed to the open air and in the roasting drum or in large barrels or containers, those beans will typically degas to an optimal level within two to four days, but they'll still very, very quickly, if not transferred to an airtight container, immediately upon reaching that optimal degassing stage. On the other hand, if you're buying beans from a medium or large roaster, we often use degassing bins that are connected directly to our roaster. So the moment the roast finished, these beans are sucked up into the degassing bins where they'll stay for about two weeks and go through a very controlled degassing process. Once they're fully degassed, we drop them directly into valve-sealed bags. It's a very common practice for medium and large-sized roasters. These beans that have not had any exposure to air will typically stay fresh for up to six months. However, once you expose the beans to oxygen, or in normal language, you open your bag of coffee, the beans will remain fresh for about one to two weeks, depending on how you store them. Optimally, you want to store your beans in a light-blocked, airtight container in a dry place. If you do that, they should stay fresh for up to two weeks. So it sounds like it's really important to find out how your coffee was degassed. Uh, many people seem to think when they buy their coffee, no matter where they get it from, that they have to have it immediately. But... It sounds like it's more important to know how it was degassed so that you can know how long it's going to remain fresh. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is, but there's also some other key giveaways. So that's actually a great question, Cindy. If you're buying coffee that's in a bag with a tin tie and no valve seal, regardless of how it was degassed, those beans have really a shelf life of two weeks unless you've purchased it from the roaster and you're going to go home and transfer it into an airtight light block container in a dry space. If you're buying beans that are valve sealed, other those beans will last. I mean, they could last up to six months. That's when the degassing process really does play a bigger role. And so at Mills and the Queen Bean, we actually bag our beans probably just slightly before optimal degassing because we have a one-way valve. And so the beans will slowly, slowly release CO2 for the next six months. So when we open a bag of Mills for the first time that's been valve sealed, my mom actually recommends waiting 15 minutes to half an hour before grinding. Or you can grind the beans, but then waiting 15 minutes to a half hour before brewing just to give them that extra hit of, of oxygen. Other companies might do it differently, but if it's in a valve sealed bag, you probably have a few months. I think this is extremely important information. I think sometimes people don't really know what freshness means. I think you're right. And I think that was a great question. I hadn't thought to address that yet. We've definitely gotten that question and tried to correct that misconception a few times. So that wraps up the roasting section of this podcast. To learn more about coffee roast blends and the importance of roast date, please visit our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com or our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. And now onto our favorite winter taste, peppermint. Those of you who follow our blog know that Cindy's created a number of delicious peppermint-based coffee drinks. And today she's going to share some of her tips and tricks for using peppermint in your coffee. Thanks, Nicole. So peppermint and coffee go wonderfully together. While many associate that candy cane flavor with the holiday season, I believe that this combination is wonderfully complimentary and refreshing at any time of the year. For this podcast, I have compiled three of my favorite ways to combine mint with coffee by using fresh mint leaves, peppermint extract, and crushed candy canes. First up is a peppermint bark latte. While I concocted this recipe for this year's holiday season, I will definitely be incorporating it more frequently into my rotation as an after-dinner dessert drink. It is a quick recipe combining white chocolate sauce, peppermint syrup, and coffee topped with whipped cream and crushed candy canes. It is actually more like a white mocha for those mocha lovers out there. It tastes exactly like that wonderful peppermint bark chocolate that you really only can purchase during the holidays. My special recommendation for this drink is to take an extra half an hour or so so that you can make your own syrups and sauces. You can do this in advance, and I have included a recipe on our blog. I invite you to check it out and let me know how it goes when you try it out yourself. Next up is a layered peppermint macchiato. The word macchiato actually translates roughly from the Italian to spotted or stained. This recipe is a latte macchiato created by filling a glass mostly with milk and then marking it or staining it with espresso. The espresso is slowly poured into the milk, literally creating that spot in the center of the drink. The milk used in this recipe is sweetened peppermint milk made with sugar and peppermint extract. And the extra special twist in this drink is the method that I use that creates that wonderful, lovely, visually beautiful layer of espresso sandwiched between the two layers of sweet peppermint milk. This drink is as beautiful as it is delicious. Lastly, I present you with a warm coffee cocktail named the Queen's After Dinner Mint 
because you guessed it, it, it tastes just like a caffeinated peppermint patty, only in cocktail form. It is whipped up by combining hot coffee, peppermint schnapps, chocolate sauce, and sugar with very lightly whipped cream. This cocktail is served with the cream being chilled, that's Irish coffee style, and you sip the hot coffee through the cream. This creates a wonderful drinking experience for the palate. It is one of my favorite drinks to serve in the wintertime, hot and refreshing with just enough kick to warm you up from the inside out. For more information on any of the drinks I have mentioned here, please check out our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, or our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. Thank you so much for listening. And with that, I will pass the mic back to Nicole. Thanks, Cindy. Gosh, those sound so good. I want peppermint and whipped cream right now. So thank you for all who've listened. This concludes episode four of Coffee with the Queen. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion. We'll be back again in January talking about how coffee can help you relax and feel better about yourself. Be part of our wellness series. Again, anything that you heard today, if you're interested in learning more, please visit our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com or our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. If you really enjoy this podcast, please let us know by leaving us a five-star review or some comments. If you have a topic that you'd really love to hear about that we haven't covered, please email us at info at thequeenbean.com. Thank you again and wishing you all a wonderful start to 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs>